0: Thank you, Tim. Thank you, praise team. What a wonderful time of worship we have had, and what a good God we have. And uh, let me invite you, if you would, grab your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of 1 John. We're continuing our study through 1 John, as you can see, talking about knowing Jesus. We've been doing this uh, for a little while, took a little pause for Easter and the celebration of the cross and the resurrection. And as we turn and focus back in and celebrate all of what it means to know God and what it means to know Christ and walk with Him, So if you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, you can either look it up on your phone and you can Google 1 John chapter 4, uh, or you can grab a copy of the Bible that's sitting right in front of you. Uh, You can write your name in it and take it home with you as a gift from us to you. So as we come into this passage of Scripture here today, we're in 1 John chapter 4, going to start in verse 17 and really talking about what it means to live with confidence in the love of God. And the fact that as we Live in the confidence of who He is. We like to be sure of things. And of course, we talked about that even last week in the assurance of the love that God has for us. And then understanding and knowing that, that we are able to then turn around and operate and live in a way that is encouraging both to us, but also impactful in the lives of those who are around us. So if you would, grab your copy of God, God's Word, read with me in First John chapter 4, starting in verse 17, and we will read down through verse 21, down through the end of the chapter. And this is what we read here this morning. First John chapter 4, verse 17 says this, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Let's pray together here this morning. Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that as we have just sung wonderful declarations of your amazing grace. Father, as we have been reminded in so many ways of your goodness towards us. Father, we pray that you would root all of our confidence in you. That you would root all of our confidence in your love, in what you have done for us, and who you are. That we would turn around and live to enjoy knowing Jesus. And Father, that that would shape the way we interact with every single person who is around us. Father, we ask that by your Spirit and for your glory, you would work in our hearts and lives, capture our attention, capture our affection, and may Jesus be glorified in the way in which we respond together today. Father, we thank you for another opportunity to study your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, as we look at God's word here today, and as we think of where we are within the, even within 1 John chapter 4, and you think of, you know, testing the spirits, and we talked about biblical discernment and and living in the love of God after that, and, and thinking about knowing the assurance of the love of God in our own lives, that As we walk right into this passage of Scripture, we can see we are building right off of these things. We can see how interconnected it all is because when we read in verse 17, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. That when he says this, he's actually referring back to what he just said and talking about having and knowing and believing the love that God has for us that we will not exercise confidence in what we are unsure of. That's why many of us, when you go to the pool for the first time, you dip your toe in there instead of diving right in. We're not so sure what it's going to feel like. That's one of the reasons why when we ask, you know, maybe you go out to a restaurant, you ask somebody, you know, what the special is, and they list all these things off, and you're like, I've never heard of half of this stuff, and there's no way I'm going to pay money for it, right? We're unsure. So we're not going to exercise confidence in things we're unsure of. But when we're sure of the love of God, we see the effects bear out in our lives. And it says, by this is love perfected with us. The whole idea here is not perfected in the sense that it's, it's flawless in the application in our own lives. We know God is flawless. We know we are not. But perfected in the sense that it has been brought to its finished course. It has reached its des- destination, you may say. It's like the GPS thing that says, you have arrived, right, for those of you who haven't figured out how to turn that off yet. That's the picture that's being laid out here, the whole sense of maturity, and that love is having its full effect. And then when we know this, when we can even read by this is love perfected with us, it stirs confidence. He even says it so that we may have confidence or boldness as it's often translated. But it's not confidence in ourselves, it's not swagger, right? We're not sauntering around like, look at how great we are. There are no self-made men in the kingdom of Christ, only born-again believers by the grace of Jesus. Our confidence is in who He is and what He has done for us. God is love. He's the one who saves. He's the one who sustains. It's in him that we abide and we enjoy. and We enjoy his care and his comfort and his cleansing power and his forgiveness and his redemption. And then our confidence now leads to confidence in the future, which is why he says here, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Unafraid unashamed, solidly sure that Jesus has done everything that we need to face the day of judgment. Amen. He is our confidence because we know good and well that on our own merits, by our own measurements, we have all fallen short. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If we're honest, we've all fallen short of the own, our own standards of measurement, let alone the standards of the glory of God. We acknowledge our own failures and our weaknesses and that our only hope and our only confidence, and our only boldness before God is Jesus Christ. Amen. And that when we read this and talk about the day of judgment, this is not just some sort of scare tactic that's thrown out there. There is coming a day where we are all held accountable. Amen. There's a point where a man wants to die and then comes judgment. It's Hebrews 9.27. It's a real judgment reality. And the judgment that he's making reference to here has to do with believer and unbeliever. How have you responded to Jesus Christ? How have you responded to Jesus crucified on the cross and risen from the dead for the forgiveness of your sins? Have you received the free gift of His salvation? Or have you spurned Him off as though you can do it all on your own? The only confidence we have in the day of judgment is Jesus Christ. And this love perfected in us bears this out, this confidence that we can have that, yes, God is just, and no one gets away with it, but God is also the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So our sin is either punished in Christ on the cross for us, and he's risen from the dead in our place to call us to himself, or we're going to take our chances by, our, by ourselves. Which and whom do you trust? Who are you following today? Because in Christ we can declare, if you know Jesus as Savior and Lord, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are covered, clothed, and confident in Christ. And God gives us this confidence. And not only does this confidence bear itself out across the span of eternity for the rest of our lives, but it impacts how we live even right now. Because he goes on to say, not only that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, he then says, because as he is, so also are we in the world. As he is. And then you think, okay, well, how is he? Well, what's one of the things that we just read here in 1 John? Well, one of the things that we just read is God is love. And we talked about his communicable attributes and those things in which he communicates to us who know him through faith in Jesus Christ how he works that out in our own lives. We can think of love and we can think of the fruit of the Spirit and thinking of joy or you can think of peace. You can think of his reconciling power, his calm, restful assurance. You can think of his grace or you can think of his righteousness or his mercy or his patience. And in knowing him and in believing in him and trusting in him, he's shaping our lives. And so we can think as he is, notice what he says here, so also are we in this world. Not simply as he is, so we will be. He's saying as he is, so we are in this world. That the likeness of Christ is meant to be on display. So it's not just, you know, get out of hell free card and you just write it out into the day of judgment. There's an active reality of what Christ is doing in your life right now. The likeness of Christ on display. Where people who have known you for years start to notice like, Where did you get that from? What's going on with you? As you walk and you walk with brothers and sisters in Christ who are walking through just overwhelming difficulty with grace and peace in their hearts, walking where they're so sure of Christ even when everything else seems to fail, because they realize and they know God's love is sure, God is involved. And God is at work. And see, we are reminded here that even as we think of God in this description of God as love and unpacking all of that, all of the applications of that, one of the ways in which we as individuals sort of gauge the way in which others love us is through time, isn't it? I mean, we talk about spending time with our loved ones. We talk about taking holidays and making sure we spend time with those whom we love. You can think about it with children and parents and just the the precious time that that is. You can think of that as uh, with your spouse. You can think of that with your friends. All those little moments that, you know, when you were a kid, you didn't think anything about. It was just, hey, I'm going to go fishing with my dad or something. And next thing you know, it was this character-shaping moment that you never thought was going to happen. You thought you were just going to go hook a fish. You didn't realize you were going to learn a life lesson. And it seems like all these little mundane things. You could be doing anything. You would just be walking around the neighborhood. Next thing you know, you're having this conversation, and God does an extraordinary work. Isn't that how God is at work in our own lives as well? In all these seemingly mundane and trivial moments, He is invested, and He takes time to walk with us and to shape our lives so that we live as ambassadors for Him. Given the ministry of reconciliation, And imploring those around us to be reconciled to God. So as He is, so also are we in this world. But before we even get past here, I mean, look around. Look around your own life. How confident are you in Christ? I mean, we can talk and we can unpack all the little theological details. We can go verse by verse. We can, you know, quote these things out. How confident are you in Him? in what He has done, in His love that endures forever, that He keeps His promises. We are about to walk into a time as a society where there are going to be countless people on television making promises to us that we know good and well they have no authority even to keep. And yet we will rest some confidence in them, won't we? How confident are we in the one whose promises have never failed, whose love endures forever, who actually has the authority to do exactly what he has said and all of it, and he has, and he's never failed and he never will. How confident are we? What's the result when you're walking in this by this love that's perfected, that we have confidence and that he's shaping our character and he's preparing us for the days ahead? Verse 18, he says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear. Now, we need to be careful here because this is not the removal of all fear necessarily because we can say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There is a sense in which we need to maintain that reverence and awe for who he is. But if we remember the context of where we are, what's he talking about here? Fear of judgment. That God has all authority. He has the authority to judge each and every one of us and has every reason to do so. That we are all condemned in our own sin, and he could have left us in a state of forsaken misery, and yet he didn't. In love, in Christ On the cross for us, he rescues and redeems. That even as we carried around and wore that scarlet letter, as it were, he saves us, clothes us, and through Jesus Christ, we are not afraid. Because Jesus handled it. All the things that we drag and all the luggage and all the baggage that we carry around with us, and we say, I have have no way to deal with this. I can't undo what I've already done. He takes all of that, handles it, that we rest confident in his love, that perfect love casts out fear. Love that has reached its course, love that has matured, love that is effectual, removes fear, because when you get past fear, then you can enjoy the love, right? Maybe you remember when you were a kid and you, you went to the diving board for the first time, right, and you walk out on the edge of that thing and it was probably because one of your siblings or one of your friends was just making fun of you endlessly for not going out there. And you finally make it out there, and you're standing on the edge of it, and you're like, I don't think so, right? You were afraid. You didn't know what it was going to be. And yet you, you were like, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust that you know what you're talking about, and that this is going to be great. And you jumped off of that thing. What happened? You hit that water, and as soon as your head bobbed up, you were jumping right back out of there to go do it again. Because when you are set free from the fear, then you are ready to enjoy, right? It's the same way as we are in relationships, right? You remember that time whenever you first met your special, uh, your spouse, your, you know, I remember when I meeting Meredith and, you know, you get over the sort of hurdle of the initial, you know, fumbling all over your words, like, I don't really know what to say. I don't know what to say next, right? I don't know what to do. And right, once you cross that threshold, then it's like, hey, we can finally enjoy this, Right? Once the fear subsides, then the joy just starts to raise up. Do we see that this is what God is doing? Where God is taking us, as fear is cast aside and cast away and it's cast out, as He has atoned for us and we have forgiveness in Jesus Christ and He removes those hindrances so that we can enjoy Him, so that we can learn and grow and we can even learn and grow in His correction and as He teaches and leads us. Gives us peace and comfort and grace. We grow in confidence in Him. Because as He says here, fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. The word that He uses here for punishment is actually that it's only used one other time in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, in reference to specifically eternal punishment of judgment. Where you're without Christ and no salvation, without hope. If you are a believer, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you're rescued from that. So rest confident in Him. Amen. So oftentimes, you'll talk to people about their salvation. And they'll say, Well, I walked an aisle one time. Well, I joined a church one time. Well, I got baptized one time. Be careful where you rest your confidence. Because your salvation is not in walking down a carpeted aisle. Your salvation is not in getting your name on a list in some church office somewhere. Your salvation is not in getting put underwater inside of a pool, inside of a church facility. Your salvation must be in Jesus Christ. That you're not trusting in yourself, you're trusting in Him, who He is and what He has done for you. He is our confidence. And as we walk in that, we are rescued from the fear. We are pulled away. It's cast out. We enjoy confidence in him. We live confident in the love of God and enjoy him forever. And that before we even take this turn in the latter part of this chapter in 1 John, where's your confidence today? Who are you trusting? Because if you're trusting yourself, you're trusting wrong. You can't handle the weight of your own salvation. Only Jesus can. Perhaps even now in the middle of what we're talking about here today that the Spirit of God is calling you to turn away from your sin, to turn away from trusting in yourself, to turn away from trying to justify your own sin, to try to make it okay, and just to come to Him and say, look, I need Jesus to forgive me to transform me and to set me free, that when all else fails, He remains. Live in Him and live confident in the love of God." But as we do so, what we see as we live confident in the love of God, we see that confidence in being loved by God leads us right into loving one another. It's not as though it's just this sort of individual thing that's carved out. It bleeds out into everyone else because he goes on to say in verse 19, we love because he first loved us. We like to take, we like to take credit for expressions of love, don't we? Or even we like to take credit for all sorts of stuff. We remember when you were in elementary school, right? Somebody says, well, whose, whose idea was this? And like six kids in the class raise their hand, and you're like, I don't think it was all of y'all. Me, 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 me. We're the same way at work, aren't we? Somebody has a good idea. It's like, Who I, whose idea was this? And we're all like, hey, it's mine. We like to take credit. But as we think of the love of God at work in our hearts, as he shapes our character, as he prepares our hearts for all of what is laid out in front of us, what is at the root? God loved us first. As we think of our love for God, God loved us first. As we think of our love for others, God loved us first. As we think of our love for truth, God loved us first. He loved us by seeing us in the state in which we were in and comes to save us. He first loved us, which shapes the way we look at everything. So before the foundation of the world, He loved us. Before you even had a thought, He loved us. Before you even were a thought... He loved us. Me. Before your grandparents loved you, He loves. Before your anything was lovable about you, He first loved us. Me. And in the same way, when the love of God is within our hearts, then that shapes the way we respond to others. That's how when we, when we talk about Jesus' commands to say, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you and pray for those who mistreat you. And we look at that and be like, why should I do that? Because that's what God did for us. That's the love of God at work in our own hearts, that He first loved us. He sought us out when we were yet enemies, and Christ died for us, saved us, so that we'll turn around and love our enemies and do good to those who hate us. We'll love our neighbors and lead them to Christ. It's love sourced in the supply and the example of God Himself. He is the starting point, and He is the source. You look at all these depictions of love in our own lives, and we've got to see that Christ, God himself, must be the example and the source from which we draw any sense of love. The only way you're going to get your marriage right is by drawing from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Because marriage ultimately is a picture of what? The loving relationship between Christ and the church. The only way you're going to get your family right and love your children and your grandchildren the way you ought to is to have the love of the Father at work within you. The only way you're going to be able to navigate singleness with contentment is through the love of God in your own heart and in your own life. And the covenant love that God has that he never breaks his promise. See, we've got to stop acting like self is the source, or self is the focus, or self is even the picture. Maybe you've had the experience before where you know you have some friends or something, or maybe you saw it on Facebook. You have some friends or something, they go on some grand trip somewhere. Maybe they go to the Grand Canyon. And they're putting pictures out there and be like, Did you see all my pictures of the Grand Canyon? When in actual fact what it was 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 a bunch of selfies. Like all I saw was your big face, man. I didn't see the Grand Canyon, I just saw you. You were in the way. Because the picture of what you were trying to display was actually behind you and you were photobombing your own picture. (laughs) See, that's a lot of the ways in which we are with the love of God, isn't it? Try to step in the frame, be like, see this? Like, we're not the point. Yes, God loves us and God is at work in us, but God loves us so that we'll step out of the way and say, don't you see the glory of him? Don't you see he who loves you? And then I'll love you enough to get out of the way and point you to the love of God in Jesus Christ. It's not about us, and we're we're certainly not the source. And that His love outlasts all our little snapshots, roots your confidence in Him, and love flows right from Him. We love because He first loved us. And that if anyone says, I love God and hates His brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Now lots of people say, I love God, don't they? Pretty well, anybody who's not just a hardline atheist would say, oh yeah, I love God. Yeah, he's great. I mean, You can have conversations about the gospel, you can open that up, and and most people say, oh yeah, I love God, He's, he's great. But just stating it, isn't actually demonstrating it, is it? Because he says, if anyone says, I love God, so there's the statement, and hates his brother, he is a liar. Now, how's that for blunt? And when we talk about brothers, especially within the church, we're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ, those who are family in the faith, those who know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that we're walking together in him. And that you love your family in Christ. And so it's complete unbiblical nonsense to say you love God and hate his people. That's like coming up to somebody and, you know, looking at a a dad and saying, look, I love you, but I hate your family. Do you think they would respond well to that? Would you? Would I? Certainly not. I'd be like, well, they're mine, right? That if you love me, there's got to be some sense of... You know, carry over affection that should reach there. And that the evident, one of the evidences of God's love at work within us is that we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And not love as in just tolerate whatever it is that they want to do or whatever it is that they say. Love people enough with self-sacrificial love to confront people, to endure with them, to walk with them down the long road of discipleship, of seeing people reconciled together in Christ. He says, look, if he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. But the person you see is this opportunity in front of you, and it's easier to love those whom you see, isn't it? That's why we carry around our phones with us, and we have pictures of our loved ones. That's why it used to be back in the day, right? You had the, the wallet that was like this thick because you had pictures of all your loved ones in there. We like to carry these things around and look at them It's a reminder. We can express love, can serve those whom you see face-to-face, can give them a hug. You're saying, look, if there's no sense of caring whatsoever for brothers and sisters in Christ, out of shared love for Christ. He's saying, then you cannot love God whom you have not seen. Because one of the ways in which we love God is we love one another. It's what he's told us. And then if his love is at work in our hearts, if we're going to really say that the love of the Father, that God himself by his Spirit is indwelling his people, then we're going to turn around and love that which he loves, aren't we? We're going to love those whom he loves. And it's going to be on display in some shape or or form. And if you can't, notice what he says you don't love God. And maybe, you, you know, maybe you've heard the, the excuses before well, the church is full of hypocrites. Okay. Do you love those hypocrites? That's the question, isn't it? Do you love them enough to get involved, to point them to the love of God in Jesus Christ? to lay down your life for their holiness, to walk with your brothers and sisters in Christ through the messes of life and the ups and downs and all of what takes place like God does with us? Isn't it an odd thing to suggest that you're going to enjoy heaven with your brothers and sisters in Christ when you avoid and loathe your family on earth? He's saying, this is not the case. Love ought to be displayed and the more confident we are in the love of god and the love that he has for us the more we will turn around and love one another and then what we realize is that every time we gather together as a church it's another opportunity it's a constant opportunity for confidence in christ and expressing that as we love one another it's not simply that we just gather together and we sit in the same place, we look at the same things, we sing the same songs, and then we go on home. No, it's an opportunity to exercise your confidence in Christ, to look down the aisle and say, I have no other reason to love this person other than the fact that God loves him, so I'm going to go love this person. Amen. We have opportunities all around us to exercise our confidence in Christ, love in action, love with the gospel, love with truth, love with faithfulness, and love with accountability. He says in this commandment, verse 21, we have from him whoever loves God must also love his brother. His name is the sender on this commandment. We've seen it over and over again in 1 John. And that when we're confident in his love, we will listen to what he has to say. But don't we see how good our God is here? That that which he expects of us, he equips us for. Isn't that amazing? As we sing, God is so good. He's so good to me. His love at work through us. To care for one another as an expression of what He's done for us in Christ. This commandment we have from Him. And we know that an expression of our love for Him, as Jesus said it, if you love me, you will what? Do what? What I command you? What's his commandment? Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Because if you walked up to your dad and you say, "Hey, I love you, Dad," and he looks at you and says, "Go love your brother," and you said, "No, I'm not going to do that." Is that really an expression of love for your dad? Is it loving to only do what you want? rather than what he desires. See, confidence in being loved by God leads right here because we see our lives not merely as a bucket, but as a funnel. That God has poured his love into our own lives that it would then pour right out of us into the lives of those who are around us. That we would not just give lip service to the love of God, not merely sing the songs or or say the words, but that we would have these expressions in our lives. And love one another. And grow in confidence in Him. And serve one another and care for one another and bear one another's burdens out of love for Christ. Walk with one another in the truth. Disciple one another. Correct one another. Encourage one another. And as you live in love, you'll be ever increasingly confident of the love of God in Jesus Christ. Because you'll you'll reach points. I mean, you may may reach a point during vacation Bible school, dare I say. You're gonna get to day two and a half and you're gonna be like, how can I love these kids anymore now? Right? No offense, but it's true. Where are you gonna draw from? If you're just drawing from yourself, I just gotta do it because I gotta do it. No, it's not gonna get there. But if you look at them and say, God loves them. God sent his only son to die on the cross for their sin, to give them life and everlasting life in Jesus' name. When you draw from there, you'd be like, let's go. Forget two and a half more days, let's go. Ten more days, let's do it. It's amazing what God will do. We got to get this right. We got to root our confidence in the Lord. We got to be confident in his love for us. And then turn around and love one another. Confidence in being loved leads to loving others. But what about you this morning? Maybe the experience of your entire life is that you've never known somebody who really loves you. Maybe you've heard people pay lip service to that and then their actions proved the opposite of the case. Look to Jesus. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all made a mess of our own lives. We've all willfully and woefully rebelled against the authority of God. As an expression of the own sinful brokenness that's in our own hearts and lives that we cannot fix. And so as we look at the problem and we're we're looking (laughs) at the insurmountable difficulty of the sin reality in our own lives, we think, who in the world could ever deal with this? Lift your eyes from the mess and look to Jesus. Jesus, who lived in perfect righteousness and was tempted in every way as we are and yet was without sin, who went to the cross and died in our place, that the outpouring of the wrath of God against our sin, he would endure every bit of it and then would lay down his life only to three days later, take it back up again so that we can look and say, look at that love. Look at how he has loved me. Look at how God has demonstrated his own love for us. For us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Trust in Jesus and root all of your confidence in Him. That before you're going to get the loving others right, you've got to know that you're loved in Christ first. Start with Him. And maybe he, if you're here and you're a believer, you're lacking confidence in His love. Maybe you need to step out of the frame for a second and turn around and look at the love of God in Jesus Christ again and be refreshed in Him that you can turn around and go, love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Before we take the supper here today and boast together in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, let's take a moment now to respond to Him in a way that brings Him glory and honor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. Father, we thank You for how You teach us and how You lead us, and Lord, how You have led us through 1 John together and all the wonder of what it means to to know Jesus. And Father, more than anything else, Father, we pray that Your great love would have captured our attention and captured our affection, and that for every single one of us in here, no matter what we came in here with, no matter what we came in thinking about, Father, that all of our gaze and heart and life all of that would be fixed upon you that you love us that you sent your only son to die on the cross for our sin and rise from the dead that there is forgiveness in life in Jesus Father that you would strip away any sense of confidence in anyone else other than you and Father root us in the great foundation of your love Father as we have opportunity now Maybe there's, there's people in here who just need to repent, to turn away from sin and run to you for the first time. Maybe there's sin issues in life that just need to be dealt with and need to be dealt with by the reach and the scope of your great love. Father, we pray that you would deal with that now. Father, that before we gather together to remember your great love in the cross, Father, may you be delighted as we respond to your love now. Teach us, Father. Lead us, Father. And root us confidently in your great love. We ask all of this in Jesus' mighty name and for his glory. Amen.